The message I'm going to share today um, kind of is, is a product of a time of me seeking the Lord and preparing a word for my church at, at the way. Um, the Lord gave me insight into this scripture like I never had before. And I'm not necessarily preaching the same message, but the meat of that message, that, that scripture that I shared at church will be the center and the focus of uh, my message this morning. Um, because I've realized that that scripture that I'm speaking about, it's found in Ephesians. I'm not going to give it to you now because as badly as you may not want to do this, if you're like me, you're going to go to that scripture. So I'm not going to give it to you just yet. It's found in Ephesians. But that scripture paints a picture of a healthy church. And that's what I want to be a part of. Amen? Notice I didn't say a perfect church. I said a healthy church. Because there is a huge difference. And this theme, this, this topic of perfection, nine out of ten times when the Bible uses the word perfect, it doesn't mean flawless. It means mature. That being said, Ephesians shows the picture of a healthy church, not a flawless church. By the way, if you're looking for a flawless church or you think you have found a flawless church, boy, you've got another thing coming. And I'd love to tell you that I pastor a flawless church, but I don't. I love to tell you that, I'm, that our churches are part of a flawless council of churches. But it's not accurate. The reality is there is no such entity on this earth because none of us are flawless. We follow and have been called by a flawless God. But what he expects from us is that we be part of a healthy church. That's my message for you today. It's entitled A Healthy Church. And I do have to admit, for those of you who may not know me, um, I, I do not uh, want to give the impression at all that I have it all together or I know all there is to know about the church because the church itself is a mystery. Paul himself, the apostle Paul said, we see dimly. So if you're the type of person like myself who likes to know what's going to happen from A to Z, you've realized that your walk with Christ has been a little frustrating along the way. Am I speaking to the right people today? We see dimly, we see in part. And I do have to admit that what I see, what I have seen, and what I'm looking forward to is all good because everything that God has planned for those whom he has called and those who love him is good, is useful. Not pleasant, useful. So if the church is a mystery, the overcoming church, or the bride, as we call her, is an even greater mystery. You see, Christ came, he died, and he rose again for each one of us. How many of you say amen? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves me. Anybody else? He loves me. And he would have died on the cross for me. He would have died on the cross if it was just you. 
His spirit dwells in each person who has come to know him as Lord and Savior. Everyone who believes possesses the spirit of Christ in them. But here's the mystery. As you study scripture, as your walk with Christ deepens, as the path becomes longer, you realize that this life is bigger than you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved new life ministries. Right? No. For God so loved the what? The world. Everything he did, he would have done if it was just you. But guess what? It wasn't just you. It wasn't just me. The biggest mistake many modern-day Christians are making is that they have lost the focus of Christ and in Christianity are being consumed by themselves. John the Baptist had one of the greatest revelations ever penned, ever recorded. And he didn't say, I hope that I can decrease. One day, my plan is to decrease. I hope I become spiritual enough to decrease. All the day when I can decrease. John didn't say any of those things, right? Does anybody here remember what John said? Huh? I must decrease so that he would increase. There's no debating there, is there? John knew that if Jesus was going to increase in his life, then there must be a decrease of John the Baptist. It wasn't an option. John wasn't waiting for the right moment to decrease. John said, I must decrease. And by the way, we know what Jesus said of John, right? That there is no man born of women on this earth that is greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew what had to happen. He had to get out of the way. He had to make his life, not only his ministry, his life about Jesus Christ. And the man who realized that he had to decrease sent his disciples to find out if Jesus was the one. So everybody has their doubts. Everybody will have their moments. Everybody will face a crossroad when they have to decide for themselves, what do I do? But whatever decision you make, whatever decision needs to be made, cannot be solely about you. Anybody here married? Show of hands, married people. Keep them up. Any parents in here, show of hands. How many of you can understand what I'm saying now, that this life is not only about you? How much more the King of kings and Lord of lords who gave everything for you and I? Who made himself poor 
for you and I. See, this whole thing about a mystery, I'm seeing bits and pieces of it. Because we're striving for eternity, right? And I'm sure once we get into eternity, we would trade it for nothing. But you know what God the Son did? After having created heaven and earth, after he saw the fall of man, he remembered what he had to do because that's foreknowledge. And he left it all for you and I. He was in eternity and came down to this earth. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine God the Son in eternity, seated at the right hand of the Father, having all of heaven, the host of heaven, worshiping him and humbling himself to come to this earth, to be born in a manger, to be raised by a carpenter as a stepfather, a young mother, where rumors followed her her entire life about the validity of that child's birth. Dying on the cross, a condemned man, the Savior, the creator of heaven and earth, forsaken by everyone but his mother and the beloved apostle. Think about that. He did that. He would have done it just for you, but he didn't do it just for you. He did it for us all. This life is so much bigger than you. And when I say you, I'm talking to myself. We all agree with that, right? I'm not pointing the finger at you. But we make a mistake many times to focus on ourselves, what we're going through, what we are facing. I'm not saying God doesn't care about that. God is there to comfort you. I've been there. I've been there when I focused on myself. When I've looked at what I'm going through. My position. But you know what God does? He always, always changes the focus from me to him. You get what I'm talking about, don't you? This life is so much bigger than you and me. And if you're going to receive the message that I have for you today, that's the first thing that you have to understand. We've been called to be part of something huge, immense. Words fail in comparison. We've been called to be something that will divide time as we know it. When Christ comes back for us, the timetable for the end of time as we know it begins. His return for us will set everything in motion. There's so much this day right now that we don't know when, we don't know how. But when time as we know it ends for this age and Jesus comes back for his bride, so many things will change.
so many things will change. Listen, I'm a totally different person today than when I came to Christ. Anybody else? But when we enter into eternity, beloved, the streets are made of gold. How much attention do you pay to the asphalt and the concrete outside? None whatsoever. How many of you have walked outside and said, man, this is gorgeous asphalt? Nobody thinks about that. Gold in eternity is the equivalent to the asphalt, the concrete, the dirt, the dust that we step on here on earth. None of us here are prepared for what awaits. But I can't wait for that. I tell you what, I cannot wait for that day. That revelation that John had about decreasing a must, a necessity, that's something that should be a part of every person who has a prayer life with God. I have to decrease. You know how many times I've told God, get me out of the way. I, I, get me, I, don't, I don't want to interfere with what you're doing. And that goes totally contrary to my makeup as a human being. Because I like to be involved. My wife, my wife says I like to have control of the situation. She does things to test me. I hear you guys laughing because you know it's true. My wife loves to have the sun visor on the car down. Even if it's nighttime. So if I ask her to put it up, she says, why are you trying to control me? (laughs) It's not about control. I'm driving and it bothers me. So when she's in her car, it happens around here too. When she's in her car and she's driving, she has her visor down, even at nighttime. To show me that she's in control. You know, I've realized this about the body and and the unity and the need that we have for each other. I've realized that you cannot accomplish the totality of what God has specifically designed for you on your own. You can't. The totality of what God has specifically designed for you cannot be accomplished by you alone. You need God, and you need others. One thing I've realized about the church is that God places people in the church to refine me. You know that scripture, iron sharpens iron? Have you ever been sharpened by somebody? How pleasant is that, really? You become better, don't you? But it's not pleasant to be sharpened. And it's funny that people look for a church where everything works out exactly the way they want it to work out. You know those type of people? They're never going to find the church. Because they're going to be hopping from one place to another. And when the Lord places somebody in their life to sharpen them, they're gone. There's a bunch of half-sharpened Christians all over the place. Don't be that. Don't be that person. Allow the people that God has placed in your life to help you attain, to help you become the person that God has called you to be. 
allow the situations that you are facing to run their course in your life so that at the end, we can be a finished product. Listen, I'm a work in progress. Anybody else? But I don't want to be that way my whole life. I want to look back every, every so often and say, wow, there's been an accomplishment. I don't want to be a life of projects that are halfway done. Do you know why you cannot accomplish the specifics of God's design for your life on your own? Do you want to know why? Because God has designed it that way. Turn to Romans chapter 12. This is not the main scripture I'm going to share. This, this is going to be just a portion. You know, I remember going, I don't know if it was at home or I was traveling somewhere. And a young guy said to me, Pastor, you are my favorite preacher. And I said, why is that? He says, because you only use one verse. And I don't know if to say thank you or what. I don't know. I don't know if my preaching style was shallow or what. But he said, you just share one verse. And I like that. So when I actually share two scriptures, I think about it. But the reality is I usually share just one, one portion of scripture. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. Here Paul is making reference to our physical bodies. We have many members, right? Our fingers, our hands, our arms, our legs, our torso, all those are different members. But yet, they don't all have the same function. And all these members fall into the ca category of a body. Then he makes it spiritual. Verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ. And individually, look at this part, individually, members of one another. You tell me in God's design there's not a big picture here. This is the mystery of the church. There are people here from all walks of life. If you ever walk into a church or you see a church where everybody looks the same, that's a scary place to be in. I don't want to be there. We have people here from all walks of life. There might be people here who would never be a part of one, another, one another's lives if it wasn't for church. Think about that. Each person here has an identity. You're unique to the body of Christ, to this church. Yet, when the Father looks at us, all he wants to see is his son. I must decrease. We were designed by God to be different, to be individuals, to add flavor to our church. Yet when the Father looks at us, 
All that he wants to see is the character of his son. Can we go back to that scripture? Individually, members of one another. A healthy church realizes that we are members of one another. Can you divorce yourself from your right hand? Can you? Can you say to your right hand, I want nothing to do with you. I have found a better right hand. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? You know what? I got short, fat, stubby fingers. I would like long fingers, big hands, so I can hold a basketball in one hand. I don't want you anymore. I have found a better right hand. A right hand that makes me feel more at home. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Listen, I want to let you know today, see God. Be sure of where God has called you. But if God has called you here, then God has called you here. To love each other, to accept each other. Church is like a family. There's people in my family that I like more than others. It's true. You don't, you don't have people in your family you like more than others? Yeah, you do. You know, we always, you have that crazy uncle in your family, that guy, that person, that woman that's nuts, just gone. Chances are each church has at least a handful of people like that. But if you're part of the body of Christ, then you are individually members of one another. This is Bible. This is not... Hey, make your church your own. This is your home. Stay here for life because this is where you should. It's not about that. If God has called you here, then God has placed you here. Individually, members of one another. You cannot accomplish the totality of what God has specifically designed for you on your own. You need God and you need each other. How many of you say amen? We cannot lose sight that Jesus is coming not for a person, but for his bride. For those people who have found their place within the body and are fulfilling his will for their lives. You know, I used to be of the mentality, and I know people today that said, I don't need to go to church to be saved. Do you know anybody like that? You don't have to go to church to be saved. You don't. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. This is not about salvation. This is about maturity. This is about a preparation within oneself to be dealt with by God. 
to open up their lives to other people. To be a reflection of who Christ was on this earth today. No, you don't have to go to church to be saved. But to be part of the body of Christ. To experience the fullness. To be part of that group. To be called upon to be the bride of Christ. You answer that question. I'm not going to answer it for you. Because then people are going to say, oh, Pastor Javi said I have to go to church to leave on the rapture. I said no such thing. You do the math. Salvation is personal. But to be the bride, that's a group thing. Can I have an amen in the house of God? Except that my message was centered on one specific verse. But I want to read the scriptures that lead up to it. Because they reveal the master plan of God for all those people who believed. If you know somebody, and I'm going to say if you are somebody who thinks that this life is just between you and God and that's it. And that he isn't going to use other people to have a role in your life. And that you're not going to play a role in somebody else's life. As we read these scriptures. Can I be honest today? I dare you to find a place where that mentality fits in God's design. Specifically with what I'm about to read right now. And he himself, verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Was that water there the whole time or did somebody put that water there? It was there the whole time or did Regal Seniors or somebody sneak it up here? It's been there? Jeez. Wow. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. I like to say this when I'm not at my church, because then people think I'm speaking of myself. But these people, these offices that are embodied by people, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teachers, do you, want to, you, do you know what they are, what that scripture says they are? They are a gift to the body of Christ. You know that pastor's appreciation thing in the month of October? I feel really appreciated in October in my church. I mean, they, they treat me, wow, unbelievable. I'd like some of that the 11 months of the year. The other 11 months of the year. I'm sure Pastor Rigo doesn't feel that way. But think about that next time. It's terrible when a pastor, an apostle, an evangelist a teacher, a prophet feels like they are a gift to the church. That's a terrible thing. It's kind of annoying. But the reality is that the men and women who embody those offices are God's gift to the church. Verse 12, this is why they are there. For the equipping of the saints 
for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things who is the head, Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Amen. That is a mouthful. And that verse 16, that's what I want to focus on today. Can I have like four or five volunteers? Show of hands, come up here. Now, Betsy, come on, you raise your hand. Don't tell me you're shy. Come on. Ven para acá. Two or three more volunteers. There's one. I need at least one more. Jesenia. And as they stand here, I'm going to read that scripture again. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That is a description of a healthy church. The question we have to ask ourselves today is, is this a description of my church? Is this describing my position in new life? Because we're easy, we're quick to say, oh, that's not my church, but we look at other people. Oh, so-and-so isn't doing this, so-and-so isn't doing that. And we are quick to look at others, but not ourselves. So Ephesians 4, it says, where people are joined together. I asked for four volunteers, right? And these four volunteers came up in the order that they wanted to come up. For Jesenia, I was told to call her. But they each came up in the order and stood where they wanted to stand, right? And that's how it is in church, right? We come to church, we find a place, a seat where we feel comfortable. And like Jesenia, maybe we are forced to come to church when initially we didn't want to come to church. You probably wouldn't have come up unless you told me to call you, right? And the word of God says, joined. But this isn't joined. This is each person coming when they want to come, volunteering if they want to volunteer, forced to do something that they're kind of eh about it. But that's not what it is to be joined. Do you know what the Greek word for join means? To assemble, to frame together. So when you come to church, you're not joined. Joined is when God takes you and says, listen, this is how I want to frame you. 
You didn't even want to come up here, but I'm going to make you the centerpiece. Join does not find a place where you are most likely not to be bothered or called upon. Join this to be framed by God. For the Lord to say to you, no, you're out here by yourself. I don't want you out here by yourself. I'm going to take you and place you as a bookmark. To be joined is to be taken by God even when you don't want to be taken by God and to allow God to locate you, to place you in position. That's what it is to be joined. To be joined to a church is not finding your chair for Sunday worship. I want to see that in my church. Because those are the people that are preparing themselves. People who don't just come to church. People who are being joined to the body. It says joined and knit together. I want to let you know that there's a difference between being joined and being knit together. There's a difference between hanging out together and being united. This is not my thing, but I know that something is necessary when you're going to knit something. Right? Mm -hmm. This is a what? A needle. A needle. <laughs> I want to be part of a church that's knit together. Anybody else? This is what the Holy Spirit uses to unite a church. The pricking of the Holy Spirit. The uncomfortable situations. The pain. Because when you're knit together, I'm not going to, did you think I was going to? Now they're knit together. And when you're knit together, then you can begin to work together. Because if we don't accept each other, we're never going to really work together and work effectively. We may accomplish a task. But we've been called to prepare ourselves and to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. This thing about church is not coming to church. It's about allowing God to assemble us, to frame us. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to knit us together one to another. Thank you.
Listen, there's a lady in our church. She's a deacon. She's a leader. And in every one of my meetings, I actually used her as an example publicly in our church. And she thought I was exaggerating a little bit. I said nine out of ten times. She goes the opposite of what I say. She said, Javi, really? Nine out of ten? So maybe seven or eight. She always, I, I always say don't use always or never, but I guess I fell into that trap. More often than not, she has a different idea. More often than not, she wants to go about it in a different way. And every time I present an idea to my deacons, I'm always waiting for her to say, Pastor Javi, have you thought about this? But you know what? Her and her husbands love me and back me up more than anybody else in the church. If I stayed homeless tomorrow, I know that I have a home to go to in their home. If I didn't have food to eat tomorrow, they would give me of their food. Not buy me food, they would give me of their food. I know I'm knit to her, even though we usually disagree. But at the end of the day, our goal is the same. We want what's best for the church. We want what's best for the body of Christ. Don't look to establish relationships with people in the church based upon the fact that you think you get along better with them. Don't decide to do something. Or pray about something and go to people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. Can I continue? Can we go back to that scripture, please? From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Every joint. That's each person, each ministry. The church supplies. You know, I know pastors who are praying for that anonymous millionaire to come and give them millions of dollars so they can buy a church. That's not the way the body works. It'd be great to have an anonymous check in the mail one day and have my secretary call me, Pastor, you won't believe what's in the mail. That'd be great. But we can't look for those things. We have to look at each other. We have to look for each other to supply what the church needs. Each person here is called to supply your talents, your grace, your ideas, and yes, your resources. They will supply what the church needs to be healthy. Don't look outside for things that this church needs. This church carries within itself what it needs. If we believe the Bible, what every joint supplies, according to the effective working. Do you notice that word there, effective working? The Bible doesn't just call us to work. The Bible calls us to effectively work. My dad has a saying, and it drives my, my mother crazy. In Spanish, is 
Está mejor que como estaba. So in English, it's better now than the way it was. In other words, I didn't do it right, but at least it's better. We can't have that mentality in the church. We serve an awesome God. We serve an excellent God. We serve a God, and it was opened up today, that has given us his best. How can we not give him anything but our best? Give God the best of what you have. Don't compare your best to somebody else's best. Give God the best that you have. You know, there's a lot of people who have unique qualities, gifts that will bless and edify the church, but they don't use them because they are comparing their best to somebody else's best. Your church doesn't need somebody else's best. Your church needs your best. Don't go through the motions in your service to the Lord. Give your best to God. You know, I got to be careful how I say this, but I did say it in, in my church, but I'm not going to say it here. I said in my church, if you're not giving your best to God, ask God for strength, ask God for grace, ask God for help. And if he's not giving to you, you may be doing the wrong thing. Now, I said in my church, I don't want the nursery to be empty next week. In the children's church. Sometimes we have to meet a need. I've done that. I've met a need. When I knew that wasn't exactly what God had for me, but I had to meet the need because of the bigger picture. But once you're serving where you've been called to serve, give God your best. Realize that it's a privilege to serve the Lord in the capacity that you are serving him in. And when it goes on to say, where every part does its share. You have a part in this church. Don't be discouraged. You know, I say this all the time that you really do not understand the value of encouragement until you become discouraged. When I'm encouraged, I pay no attention to encouragement. But when I hit a state of discouragement, oh my gosh. That's when I realize the importance of remaining encouraged. You're going to do your share when you realize that you're necessary to the body of Christ, that you're needed in the body of Christ. Find your place. Allow the Lord to place you, to assemble you, to frame you. Be available to God. If you're part of this body, be available to the Lord. You know, I used to have somebody in the church. I used to have because they're not there anymore. They used to tell me that they wanted to go to the hospitals and visit the sick. Every time I see that, I'm like, all right, let's find out. Every time I called this person, hey, I'm on my way to the hospital, so-and-so is sick, or I'm going to go this week. Oh, pastor, I can't this week, blah, blah, blah. All right, maybe they're busy. Every time I call, I just can't, pastor. After about a year, they said, but pastor, I just feel that I'm not being used by God. Well, of course you're not. You're never available. You can have a desire to do something, but if you don't make yourself available to God, you're never going to be called upon. I don't know about you, but in my life, when I said, Lord, count on me, I've always been called on an inopportune time. 
When that moment comes, it's usually in a moment of inconvenience. You know, when you get that phone and you see the phone ring, you're like, oh, I really don't want to answer it. Answer it. Be willing. You're never going to be able to do your share if you're unwilling. Second to last point, where growth, where every part does its share, causes growth. I want to let you know that growth is not an accident. Growth is caused. Growth is not a miracle. It is ordained by God for those who work effectively. You don't just wake up one day and the church grows. The church grows because people are working effectively. There are simply people who wait around for growth. People who want others to pay the price for growth. Don't be that person. Be the person who causes growth. Growth is caused. You're not going to wake up when they're walking to church and see a bunch, a bunch of new people in church. It happens because it's caused by those people who work effectively. Finally, where the church edifies itself in love. You know, we live in a day and age where people have dumbed down what love is. Where love is this warm, fuzzy feeling that you get. Whether it be in a relationship or in the church. Love is about sacrifice. Love is about giving of yourself and expecting nothing in return. That's what love is. Love is unselfish. Love isn't rude. Love doesn't bring up the past. Believe me, I know. Pastor, I remember when you said this to me. And I don't remember. Because I've moved on. Love is needed if we're going to edify from within. If growth is going to come, love has to be present within the body of Christ. A healthy church will treat and receive each other. And those who walk through those doors in God's love. God's love, not your love. Not the love that the, ch the church on across the parking lot is showing to them. Which, by the way, you're showing them love. I see that you're separating the parking lot. That's big. If we're going to express the love of God to people, that love expressed has to be saturated with God and not ourselves. It's not a human ploy to try to make people feel good. Because if we really look at it, love was wrongfully convicted. Love was tortured on the cross for you. Love hung there bloody. And with his last breath, love said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's love. When we can accept each other. When we can forgive each other. But pastor, that's Jesus Christ. Well, who do you have living in you?
I'm just saying what John said. I must decrease. Anybody else? Stand with me if you would. As I finalize this message, I wrote this down before I left my house. And I'm just going to read it to you today. New life, I'm challenging you today. The challenge that I set before you is not a challenge to attend a healthy church. The challenge that I set before you is one to edify a healthy church. God isn't impressed with anybody who attends a healthy church. There's no effective work there. If we want to catch the attention of the bridegroom, then the challenge is to be part of a healthy church. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if this is free. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. What I am going to ask you to do this day is right there where you are to establish or reestablish a covenant with God. And say to the Lord, Join them 
unite them. Place a passion and desire to give you the best of what they have. That you be the centerpiece of this congregation, oh God. That every work that be done, be done so effectively. That every joint, every member of this church would do its share. That they would edify themselves in love. These things would cause the growth that is necessary. Lord, I pray that you would inspire. I pray that you would ignite. I pray that you be sufficient for them, oh God. That this church, oh Lord, part of something greater that there would not just be a remnant here but that the majority of this congregation if not all would have the revelation of who you are and have the desire to be that overcoming church the bride of Jesus Christ the bride that says come Lord establish and strengthen the covenants that have been placed before you this day. Holy Spirit, seal them with your fire. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and we give you thanks. And together we say, Amen.